Dad had a phrase he said when he didn't want to do something, but he wanted me to. Hmm, you're energetic. You're energetic. Would you make me a sandwich? So one day after dinner, Dad wanted an ice cream cone, so I made him one. For years, he worked at Velvet Ice Cream, so he knew his professionally sculpted ice cream cones. I wanted to impress him, so I did my best. The next time he wanted an ice cream cone, he said, Hey, LJ, would you make me an ice cream cone? You make the best cones. Houston, we have an impressed father. Sure, Dad. I didn't want to disappoint, so I took my time, each time, carefully jamming and cramming ice cream without breaking the very brittle cone, so every bite, especially the last bite, would be filled with the right ratio of cone to cream. That went on for years. Until one day, my dad asked my niece Desiree for a glass of water, and I heard a familiar phrase. Oh, Desiree, you you make the best iced water. Would you make me a glass of iced water? Wait a minute. Not taking nothing away from Desiree's mad culinary skills, but it's difficult to get a B-minus making iced water. Even if you pour in too much ice, give it a few minutes, and voila, water. That's when I realized my dad was playing me the entire time. I didn't make the best ice cream cones, but he told me I did, so I would try, and he wouldn't have to. Apparently, there's a dad gene that calls on the kids to do what dads don't want to do. My dad had one, and it looks like David's dad had one, too. Hey, good day to you, Simplify listeners. You're listening to LJ Harry, and you're listening to God One Giant Zero on Simplify. David's dad, Jesse, had that look in his eyes. One morning, he barely sipped his pomegranate punch. He looked across the table at David and said, "Mm, You're energetic. Why don't you run down to the battlefield and check on your three oldest brothers? I'm worried about them. The army doesn't feed them much, and what it doesn't feed them really isn't feed. So you take some bread and cheese. Make sure they're okay. David loaded up his basket with bread and cheese, and he ran out to the field and ran down the list of how to keep the sheep with his trusty sheep sitter. Then David set out for his 15-mile walk or ride to the valley of Elah, where the army of Israel was arrayed against the army of the Philistines. His brothers saw his red hair a furlong away. As David got closer, they saw the picnic basket. It had to feel a little like home. Subway and Sandals started doling out lunch to his older, braver brothers who were fighting in Saul's army. Hey, hiya, fellas. I brought you lunch. All right, let's see here. Right, see, see how I do. I'm pretty sure I remember what you guys like. I've got pastrami on rye for Eliab. Yep, okay, good. And Shema, turkey on wheat, half mayo, half mustard for you, just like you like it. Okay, good. And salami and onions for Shema. Man, no wonder you're still single. And just as David showed up, the Israelite and Philistine armies were both showing off, shouting at each other, shouting their war cries but they didn't swing a sword. They just shouted and stayed on their side of the battlefield. Strange. It's like a pep rally with no game to follow. Suddenly David heard another shout, but this one was different. It was from one man, one massive man. Stop cowering, you cowards, and give me a man to fight me. That's my massive man voice. 
His brothers asked him, Man, have you seen this guy? He's ginormous. David wheeled around to see him, and for the first time in his life, David saw Goliath. His brothers told him the stakes. That guy wants one soldier to represent our army to fight him one-on-one. If we win, they become our slaves. If they win, we become theirs. That's the deal. David looked at his brothers, breadcrumbs in their beards, and he asked, Well, how's it been going? (laughs) It ain't. We don't have a guy big enough or brave enough to fight him. We're just hoping he gets bored and goes away. And David listened as Goliath defied the armies of Israel, and he defied the God of Israel, David's God. David sized Goliath up. Okay, let's see here. He's uh, about nine feet tall and some pluses. I'm five six on a good day. He's got a sword, a spear, a shield, personal armor bearer, coat of armor from head to toe. I've got a staff, a slingshot, and I would need to pick up some rocks. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. I'm a chosen child of God. I can take him. His oldest brother, Eliab, was incensed and insulted. How dare you come to the battlefield and try to do our job? You don't see me coming to the sheepfold and try to do your lousy, lazy job, do you? You just came to spy on us and see what real men do. You came to see the battle. David, you're a shepherd, not a soldier. Know your place and stay there. Eliab was hangry. But somebody heard David's questions, and they told Saul, and Saul called for David. Saul was happy one of his soldiers was finally willing to risk his life to fight Goliath, but when he saw David, Saul was underwhelmed. David's brothers were right. David was a shepherd, not a soldier. But his brothers weren't with David when a lion came into the clearing and a bear came out of the woods, and they actually sank their teeth into one of David's little lambs. But David bowed up, grabbed the lion by the beard and killed it. He did the same to a bear. David understood, though, he really didn't do all that. The God he served did all that. He just used David's soft heart and calloused hands. So David told Saul, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. David had chutzpah. Saul liked it. But he still wanted somebody bigger, stronger, trained. But nobody was signing up at the volunteer sign-up table, even with all the balloons and streamers. David was Saul's best and only shot. Saul offered David his armor, but Saul was a grown man, head and shoulders taller than everybody else. David was still a teenager. He looked like a little boy trying on a man's suit. He couldn't walk. He certainly couldn't fight. No, he would fight this fight like he had fought all his others. The Lord would fight for him. Thanks, but no thanks to the armor. David took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook. Smooth stones would fly true. He stuffed them into his shepherd's bag, and he gripped his trusty sling. These were his weapons of war. They had been, they would be. Goliath didn't know about David's sidebar with Saul. As far as Goliath knew, he would threaten and bluster the rest of the day, grab a few drinks, and head back to his California king-size bed to sleep it all off and do it all again the next day. It was fun pushing Israel around. It was even more fun pushing Israel's God around. But when David stepped across the line into no man's land that no man was willing to cross, there was no turning back, no second thoughts, no buyer's remorse. David was all in. It was now do or die. 
He stepped across that seemingly uncrossable line, and Goliath could not believe his bloodshot eyes. Is that a kid? David marched toward Goliath, and Goliath stomped toward David. When Goliath's armor-bearer heard his master march, he stepped toward David as well, right in step with Goliath. Goliath was armed to his yellow teeth, and all David had was a staff, a sling, and five rocks. Goliath cursed David by his gods. Likely he said something like, Let the gods do to me and more also if I don't kill you by sundown. Something like that. David didn't blink. Okay, you brought it up. Let's talk about God. You come to me with a sword, a spear, a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and he will deliver you into my hand, and today I'll take your head from you like a trophy. I told you, David had chutzpah. Goliath growled, nobody talks to Goliath like that. He kept marching toward David, and David took off running toward the Philistine. The writer of 1 Samuel does not continually call Goliath a giant. We do. The writer didn't. Just a Philistine. Because to God, Goliath wasn't a giant. He was just another Philistine. Like an expert marksman, David plucked a rock from his shepherd's pouch, loaded the sling, and spun it around enough times to get the miles per hour he was looking for, and David let it fly, all while on the run. Time slowed down as all of Israel in Philistia watched that single stone hurtle through the still early evening air until it found its mark just below Goliath's bronze helmet and sank deep into his forehead. The Philistine fell face first to the earth with a thud. He was down. Goliath was down. David ran and towered over the still body of this giant of a man. David pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath and separated him from his head. Israel could not believe their eyes. A shepherd felled a giant? That's not the whole story. God felled a giant. But since he couldn't find a soldier on the battlefield to do it, he found a shepherd in a sheepfold to do it. And all this happened so all of Israel would know there is a God in Israel, and God is on Israel's side. He always has been. He always will be. I'm not afraid for Israel. I pray for Israel. I pray for the peace of Israel. But I know who stands with Israel, regardless of what nation does or doesn't. God, the Almighty, the one who opened the Red Sea for Israel and closed it on Egypt, the one who used a shepherd and a stone to fell a giant and win a war, is for Israel. The Philistines ran for their lives. So much for the you guys be our slaves deal. Apparently the enemy doesn't keep his part of the bargain. With a sudden burst of bravery, Israel chased the fleeing Philistines all the way back to Philistia. Then Israel came back to camp and plundered their tents for weapons, food, armor, clothes, you name it, they left it. And at the end of the day, everyone in Israel and in Philistia, and now everyone around the world, could read the unbelievably bright white LED lights on the scoreboard in 1 Samuel 17 in the Valley of Elah. It still shines bright to this day. God won. Giant Zero. I don't know what battle you're fighting, but whatever battle you're fighting, I promise you, God is able. Israel, if you're listening to this podcast, please understand 
Your strength is not just in your elite military or your iron dome. Your strength is in the God who called you from the first place in Genesis 12 to be his chosen people. And no matter if you have turned your back on him or if the entire nation turns their back on him, God will not turn his back on Israel. He loves you. He loves Israel. And he will fight for you if you will turn to him. Turn to Jesus. Turn to the Almighty God. He will fight for you. I want to pray right now, especially for Israel. Doubtless, there are a lot of questions people have concerning what's happening right now. But the one answer that all of us can have is God will fight for Israel. So let's ask the Lord today to fight for his people, Israel, and for those who are facing giants in their life or facing these battles, fighting these battles. We know we're not strong enough to fight, but the Lord would fight for us. Jesus, I thank you today for all you have inspired in your word. I call on you today, Lord. I pray you would please minister, especially to your people in Israel during this war. God, I ask you to give them the strength, the courage, the bravery to turn to you. No matter who does or doesn't, I pray they would turn to you. They would look to you just like David turned to you, just like Moses turned to you, just like the prophets turned to you. May they turn to you. And I pray you would fight their battles physical battles, these real physical battles. I pray you would fight them. And for those of us who are fighting battles that may not be physical, they may not be with weapons of war, but battles of sickness or battles of discouragement or battles of uh, uncertainty, whatever these battles are, I ask you, Lord Jesus, help us to fight these battles. Lord, rise up before us, fight for us, use us. God, I pray you would help us today in the name of Jesus, not to be afraid, but to trust in you. We put all our trust in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Simplify listeners. Be sure to subscribe, follow, like, share. Share this with somebody who may have a lot of questions about what's happening in Israel right now. God is in control. He's still on the throne. So if they've got questions and they're wondering what's really going on, what's happening, share this episode with them. I pray it'll be a blessing to them. Also, if you're looking for some great resources to know what is happening, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible speak about all of this? Absolutely, it does. We've got some wonderful resources, some Bible studies on PentecostalPublishing.com, and you can get those if you use promo code SIMPLIFY. For the first time you use it, you can save 10% off your entire order. Use promo code SIMPLIFY on PentecostalPublishing.com. Thanks to all of you who have been listening and sharing. We have reached 169,000 downloads. So by the time you hear our next episode, we might be close to 170,000 downloads. And that's such an honor to get to be part of your devotional life and your walk with Jesus Christ. So again, share it with as many as you can and let them be blessed by Simplify. Next week, I want to share with you a devotion called King David. Boy, we've been waiting and we'll be waiting a long time to hear those words. But one day, the shepherd boy became the king. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to walking closer with our Jesus as we walk through Simplify.